If you have your Bibles, turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I don't have my Bible. Psalm 119 talks about diligently searching for God's Word and finding it. That's how I just felt right now. So we're going to be reading 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, we're going to focus on verses 3 to 5 today, but we're going to start in verse 1 so that we can catch the context. And I want to remind you that God could have inspired a million different things to be recorded in the Scriptures. But He chose to inspire these words that we're going to look at today because He has something to say to you today. So listen, this is God's Word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is God's Word. So we've been talking in this series, it's called Proclaim, because what we have, what we know about Jesus is worth proclaiming. It's worth shouting out when that's appropriate. It's worth sharing um, by all means in all kinds of ways. And, and the question I want to ask you as we start today is, what does it look like for you to share your faith? I want you to think about you personally, not sharing your faith in general, but what does it look like for you personally to share your faith? I think the reason some of us don't share their faith is because they have a wrong view of what it's supposed to be. I think some people think that sharing their faith is being on the spot and having all the answers. And they think, well, that's not me and will never be me, so I better not open my mouth. I think some people think that it's the sharing your faith is people not liking you because you're obnoxious. And they think, I don't want to be thought of as obnoxious, so I better not share my faith. Some people think it's people assuming that you are the same as the worst examples of Christianity that they've ever seen. And because you don't want to be associated with the worst examples of Christianity that other people have ever seen, you just decide, well, I'm just not going to say anything then. Because I don't want them to misunderstand. And I want to tell you this morning, that is not sharing your faith. Okay, those images are not sharing your faith. Sharing your faith means answering three questions and having a couple of responses that you can go to. Okay? If you want to know how to share your faith, you need to have the answer to three questions, and you need to have some responses that you get good at sharing with people when it's appropriate. The questions that you answer are how to share your faith, 
And the responses that I'm going to give you will remind people that you're not like the Christianity that has offended them in the past or in the present. Okay? So first, the questions that you need to answer. Um, If you're taking notes on your outline, I would suggest that you put this above the first blank, but put a line down the center, because I'm going to give you the questions on the left, and then you can put the responses on the right. So, questions to share your faith. You need to answer these three questions. If you want to know how to share your faith, this is how you do it. First, why is Jesus good news? How would you answer that question? You need to be able to say, Jesus is good news because... And you can fill in the blank. Second, how has Jesus changed your life? Okay, so answer, Jesus has changed my life by... Fill in the blank. Then third, how does your faith help you in this, whatever situation life brings you? How does your faith help you in life situations? So that you can say, my faith in Jesus has helped me fill in the blank in these ways. If you can answer these three questions and your answers include things that you are currently thinking and currently experiencing, that's how you share your faith. Okay? Could you see yourself with people that you know that you're comfortable with at some point in time during a conversation answering these three questions? That's what sharing your faith can and should look like. Okay? I know that even this feels like there's some tug there. There's, it feels like there's a pull. It feels like there's this sort of gap of uncertainty between you and the other person. You're not sure how they're going to respond, and so stepping into this gap feels a little bit awkward, right? That's okay. Um, the Bible says that stepping into that gap of uncertainty is what the Bible calls boldness. Okay, boldness. But you need to be able to answer these questions. You need to come up with answers. For You need to stop and think through this so that you can have something to share. But... Anytime you share, you're going to get what? You're going to get objections, right? You're going to get all kinds of objections. People are going to object to Jesus. They're going to object to the Bible. They're going to object to the church. They're going to object to things they've seen on TV, things they've seen in the media, right? All these things. Well, there are lots of books that have been written on how to respond to the different issues and the different objections that get raised. But here are two of the most helpful responses that I use that I think apply to just about any objection that people have to Christianity. Okay? So here are the responses that you need to learn and to become fluent with. First, the response of patience. This is simply saying, yes, the church isn't perfect. Right? Can you say that to somebody? Yes, you're right. The church isn't perfect. There are reasons to roll your eyes. And some issues don't have easy answers. Are these things that you can say? That's the response of patience. You don't necessarily have to have the answers. In fact, a lot of times people, I mean, sometimes they're looking for answers, but oftentimes they're not. They're just sort of expressing kind of the feelings that are coming up in them. And if you can say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. The church has screwed up. That response of patience can go a long way in building credibility with people. Here's another one. Another response. The response of teaching. So you say, yes, the church isn't perfect, but there's more to the story. Could you say that to somebody? You know what, you're right. The church has screwed up, or the church has done this, the church has done that. 
But there's actually more to the story. That's not actually the whole of the story. Here's why Jesus is good news and how it's changed my life. Right? Or you can say this. this is, I love saying this to people. You know what? You're right. The church has said this. The church has supported this. And I don't agree. You know, but I don't support that. And frankly, neither does Jesus. Here's what Jesus supports. He supports making sure that people know that he is loving and gracious and forgiving. Yes, he talks about sin, but he talks about love and acceptance. If you can answer these questions and then share these responses, these things will help you to share your faith in a way that others would understand your faith and be blessed by it. Okay, I mean, this is, I think, some of the most powerful things that we can do, that we can employ to share our faith in a way that would be received and would be understood. So people would actually be blessed by it. And Paul has been telling us in this passage that we all have to share our faith because it's urgent. Okay, there's an urgency um, in Timothy's life and there's an urgency in our life. Okay, Timothy, remember, was the pastor of the church in a city called Ephesus. Okay, he was pastoring this church there and he had a calling to preach the gospel and to share his faith in Jesus. But he was wavering. Okay, he was wavering in his calling He'd grown timid. He'd grown afraid. He was, he was afraid to share with others. He was nervous about what other people would think. Um, that if he shared something that they would disagree with, they were going to look down on him. They were going to ostracize him. They were going to persecute him. He was afraid, and so he stopped preaching. He was neglecting his calling. And in Ephesus, part of the urgency is that there were lots of other teachers who were boldly proclaiming other messages. Okay, there were others who were preaching other kinds of spirituality, other kinds of religion, other sorts of philosophies on life. And Paul is telling Timothy that the, that the church desperately needs him to preach. Okay, the church that Timothy's called the pastor desperately and urgently needs Timothy to speak up and to share the gospel, to share his faith. Time is of the essence. Yes, judgment is coming in the future. That's what he said in verse 1. But Paul says in verses 3 and 4 that there is something dangerous in the present. There is something dangerous that will happen if Timothy doesn't start preaching again. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you today that the same danger has, is, is reality for us if we are not sharing our faith with the people that we know and love. With the people that we see at home, in our neighborhoods, and in the workplace. Something dangerous is happening. We have to get really good at sharing our faith because of what Paul says in verses 3 and 4. And what he says here, this is the first, on your, the first blank on your outline, he says that slavery is coming. Okay, slavery is coming. Verse 3, it says, For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. So Paul is saying, Timothy, listen, there is coming a time when people will stop listening to you. Your church needs you to preach. You have to preach now because now they will listen. 
And if you don't preach, if you don't share the gospel, the gospel will be drowned out by other things. Okay? If you don't preach, the gospel will be drowned out. These false teachers that are already preaching these other ways, these other types of spirituality. Timothy, they're not timid. Timothy, they're not shy. They're not afraid. They are bold and they are repetitious. They are communicating their message over and over and over again. They are in your face and they are in the faces of all of your people and they won't back down. A Toyota Corolla. Yeah, gray. Toyota Corolla gray is about to be towed. Outside, gray Toyota Corolla 7CP. Is that the license plate? 7CP. Anybody? Outside, Colin? Outside in the parking? Inside in the parking? Oh, inside in the parking. So there's an urgency. <laughs> Your car is about to be enslaved, Justin. You need to act now. If you don't go and preach that this is your car and that it's okay for you to be here. Um, so what Paul is saying here, he's saying, Timothy, the Christians in the church, they will follow these other teachers if you don't preach the gospel. That's what he's saying. Right now, the church is willing to listen to you, but you're not preaching. And there is coming a time where they are not going to listen to you anymore. Okay? That's the urgency. That's the urgency. There's a gap. Right? There is, there is now. Let's see here. There's now. Right here. This will be now. Right now they're willing to listen. But there is coming a time where if you don't start preaching now, these other messages that they're hearing over and over and over again will basically take over and these people will leave Jesus. They will leave the church. They will leave God and chase after other things. Friends, we live in the same gap, don't we? I know some of you are already making the connections. Um, you need to hear and believe the gospel. You need me to preach it to you every week. Right? You need to hear this message. Um, and you also, you don't just need to hear it, but you need to share it with other people. You need to be sharing it with other people in the church and also people that are outside. Right? People get closed to Jesus if they aren't shared with credibly. Okay? Over time, people will close off. It was happening back then, and it also happens every single day of our lives. People get closed off to Jesus. They get closed off to Christianity when they aren't shared with credibly. Credibly, okay? Credibly, what does that mean? Well, that means that people need to both see and hear the gospel, right? They need to see the transformed lives of people, right, who have experienced the gospel um, so that there is something that, it's almost like, you know, Jesus did miracles in his ministry. Right? He did all these miracles. Like he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, um, and then he used that as an illustration for what he was doing spiritually. He says the kingdom of God is a place where the hunger in your heart, I will satisfy that hunger forever. And so just as you ate this physical bread, now take the spiritual bread that I'm giving you. 
And the miracle became this picture, this symbol, this foretaste of what Jesus was offering to do in the gospel. Our changed lives are that way now. Okay, when you live differently, when you treat other people differently with your words and your actions, right? When people can see in you the transformation of the gospel, that is what is necessary. That lays the foundation uh, for you to share with them. And without, without the clear teaching of the gospel, without you sharing your faith, without you sharing the gospel with people, they will receive and believe alternate explanations for life. This is what happens. We all have these gaps in our life. We all have these ways of of trying to cope with the stuff that doesn't work out. And there's lots of different options, right? Lots of different explanations, both religious and non-religious, for how to make sense of the world. And if people don't continue to credibly hear and see the gospel they will find another solution. I've had situations where people in my own life have been very open to the gospel, have even said, hey, I'm, 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 I think I want to start following Jesus. And then I never actually followed up with them. And now, it feels to me like it's too late. Because as I've tried to re-engage... There's nothing there. There's no receptivity. People will be closed off if they don't credibly see and hear the gospel. Part of the problem, too, is that if we don't share the gospel, people will misinterpret our lack of sharing. If we don't share the gospel clearly, people will think that Jesus is just one of many options to get to heaven. One of many ways to know God, to have a relationship with Him. People will also just dismiss what they don't like about Jesus. And then they'll add to the gospel what they do like. And when this happens, when this happens, what is, what is lost with the gospel, when the gospel gets mixed or diluted, what happens is, what it, what it loses is power. It ends up losing its power to actually make any difference in life. Paul said this in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, these are teachers that have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. So it looks good. It sounds good in some ways. It sounds like it's godliness, but there's no power behind it. There is no transformation. I'm going to talk a little bit more about how that happens here in just a second. But so there is this gap, this time gap between now and the future. There are people in your life who are open and receptive to hearing the gospel. And you need to be sharing the gospel with them. Because the longer you wait, the more receptive and the more experience they will have with other things. We need to do this now because not only for them, but also for us. Right? The longer you wait to share the gospel in a relationship, the longer you wait to make it clear that you are a Christian and to share the good news about why Jesus is good news for you and what difference it makes in your life right? and how your faith makes a difference in your life. The longer that you wait, the harder it becomes, isn't it? Doesn't it become more awkward? 
It's like, well, I've known him for like, I don't know, a year or six months, and I've never shared it. It would seem kind of weird for me now to bring this up. The longer we wait, the more difficult it gets for us. And also, the longer we wait, the harder it'll get for them. And what Paul is telling Timothy, I hope you can see this in, the, in this verses, in verse 3, he says, without the gospel, Christians will leave the faith. Okay, Christians will leave the faith. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And what ends up happening, what ends up, the, the process that, that goes on is that when you stop letting God speak authoritatively into your life, when you stop hearing the gospel, right, and we'll talk about what the gospel is in a little bit, but when you stop hearing the gospel um, clearly and consistently, you end up, you end up making your own spirituality. You end up the master architect of a world and life view that might include God, that might not. But what ends up happening is that slowly and surely, everything ends up falling underneath your authority. Okay? You end up higher and higher and higher in authority over all the things of your life. Um, look at what they're doing. It says they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Okay? This means that they become arbiters of who's allowed to teach them and who's not. What tends to happen in their lives, but also in our lives, in the lives of the people that we know, what tends to happen is we tend to have a sense of what we determine is right and wrong. And if there are teachers that agree with us, then we will allow them to teach us. But anybody that tells us that we're wrong, anybody that tells us that we need to change, anybody who tells us anything that we don't like, um, we have a way, we, we distance ourselves from that. Sometimes we just ignore it. Sometimes we say, oh, well, that's good for you. In parentheses, yeah, but not for me. Right? This is what happens. And what this leads to, because um, this includes God. This includes God. That even God is not allowed to speak into your life. Even God is not allowed to contradict you because, well, wait, no, no, hold on a second. No, 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 you don't understand. Um, God wants me to be happy. Right? Jesus came to bring abundant life. That's a life that's more full and more abundant than anything I could get on my own. Like God wants me to have happiness. God wants me to feel good. God doesn't, he's not about condemning me. Like, why would you say this? And what we end up with is something like what existed in Stepford, Connecticut. Right? The Stepford Wives. Y'all remember this? They made the movie twice, once in 1975, once in 2004. This is the remake of this movie. And in Stepford, Connecticut, what the men of the, of the city decided was they wanted to 
take their women and change them into robots, right? And they made their women become beautiful, compliant, and obedient. And so they paraded their women and life was great, right, for these men. Um, And it's interesting, Tim Keller talks about this movie in his book, The Reason for God. And he says, he identifies the problem with this situation. And it's not just the problem that it's demeaning to women, that it's objectifying women and all that kind of stuff, although it is, right? But what's, this is even bad for the men, okay? This is not good for the men. He says, yeah, the robot wives are beautiful and compliant, but none of the men had a marriage that was either personal or intimate. Think about that. If you don't have someone in your life, if you don't have a marriage or a relationship where the person in your life is able to cross you, is able to stand up to you, is able to confront you, then what you have will never be personal and it will never be intimate. The feeling of having a genie who will do you know, your wish is my command, um, like that can be good for a while, but you will never ever have intimacy unless someone is able to cross you and to confront you. Okay? This is why you don't want to run from conflict in friendships or relationships. You don't want to run away from it. You want to understand that conflict means that your relationship is real. Conflict means that, guess what? The two of you are close enough to matter to each other because you've hurt each other. And even if it's a misunderstanding, it doesn't matter. Like, you need to, you can celebrate. It's a way to redeem conflict, right? Nobody likes to go through it, but you can say, you know what? This is good. This means that we're together. This means I don't have a Stepford wife. I don't have a Stepford husband. What's powerful, though, what's powerful, though, is Not only is this bad in a marriage or in a relationship, it's dating or anything else, but we do this with God. And Tim Keller talks about how many of us have a Stepford God in our lives. Where we become the arbiter, we become the final authority of what is true and what's not true, of what is appropriate and what's not appropriate. If the Bible doesn't bother you, then you might have a Stepford God. If there aren't things in the Bible that make you nervous, that make you uncomfortable, then you might have reshaped God into your own image. But this is the spiral that we go down. When we lose the ability to have other people speak into us truth, when we stop letting people confront us, when we stop letting God confront us, what we end up with is reshaping everybody. We reallocate our social network so that nobody in our life is going to irritate us or bother us or or be frustrating to us or is going to speak against what we want to do. When we do that, we dethrone everything else, including God. And we think this puts us on top. And for a while, it feels good. It's like having a Stepford life. Right? But what ends up happening is that we become enslaved. We become enslaved because now, when you're in this situation where you're at the top of the heap, you have access to nothing that doesn't come from inside of you. 
the only resources that you have to face anything in your life are the resources that come from inside of you. If you don't have people that are in your life who can say things to you, if you don't have a God who can tell you where you're wrong, if you don't have an ability to say, I'm going to submit myself to God and His Word, then you will ultimately end up in charge of everything. And that is a lonely place to be. What Paul is telling Timothy that he needs, I mean, this whole letter is Paul getting into Timothy's kitchen in an act of incredible love, incredible devotion, so that Timothy can be what Timothy actually wants to be. Right? But for Timothy, Timothy's life is, wait a minute, if it's too hard, I don't want to do it. And Paul is trying to get Timothy to come back from that. And the same thing is for us. We need, we need preaching. We need people. Um, we need preaching, and, we, and other people need the clear preaching of the gospel. Um, Tim Keller says this. He says, only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or a marriage, will you ever know that you've gotten a hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination? So Paul is saying to Timothy, if you don't preach, they're going to be enslaved to their own desires. It's going to be every person for themselves. Everyone's going to determine for themselves what is right for themselves. And we just can't trust our desires with that kind of authority. Our feelings and our desires are good things. They're good indicators of what's going on in our lives and how we feel about those things. Um, but we can't trust them to lead us. We need God's word. We need an authority. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, slavery is coming. Slavery is coming. And so what you need to do this is the second point on our outline. You need to share and show the gospel. You need to share and show the gospel. This is verse 5. It says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So he's saying, Timothy, wake up, and you need to do this work of an evangelist. Right? In the Bible... The, there's an office of evangelist, but then there's also what Paul's talking about here is, is the work of an evangelist. The office of an evangelist, well, it has to do with, um, it has to do with the spiritual giftedness of, of having the gift of evangelism, being able to share your faith. But the work of evangelism is something, the work of an evangelist is something that all Christians are called to do. Okay? And when you think of an evangelist, right, I know... Some of you might think, again, this is the person either on the corner preaching, bullhorn or not a bullhorn. Um, but let me just, most people when they hear the idea of an evangelist, they think, well, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but I know it's not me. But I think what the Bible communicates is that all of us need to do the work of an evangelist. And how do we define that? Well, an evangelist is just one who shows and shares Jesus. That's what an evangelist is. Someone who shows and shares Jesus. And when we think about Jesus, we think about the gospel, we think about it in these three ways. We think about Jesus for you. We think about Jesus in you and Jesus through you. This is the fullness of the gospel. Jesus for you. This is God's extravagant grace. 
this free gift of forgiveness, acceptance, where God adopts you into his family. This is this free gift where because of nothing that you do, God welcomes you into his family and he accepts you and gives you an assurance that is so powerful that you no longer need anyone else's approval. And there's a power to his acceptance in our lives and we do nothing to earn it. We don't have to be good enough. Jesus was good enough. He did it for us. His perfect life, his death, and his resurrection are what bring us into this relationship with God. But then it's Jesus in us where we get this supernatural power, where God changes us. He puts into us his power and his presence. So that, guess what? You have the power to grow when you put your faith in Jesus. You have the power to change because Jesus is changing you. The power that it took Jesus to live his perfect life is now in you. It's not the only thing that's in you, so you still struggle, but it's in you. And his presence is with you, so it's him personally. It's him personally in you. And then Jesus through you. This is radical obedience. It's not just passionate obedience, but it's that you would do things for no earthly reason. Right? That you would live your life for others that you would care about others, that you would make decisions for the good of others and not for yourself because you trust that God is taking care of you. Right? This radical obedience that flows from us is a response. It's a response to what God's done for us and in us, but it's actually the work of Jesus through us as he loves others, as we make disciples. And the reality is that we need a steady diet of all three of these. This is what we need uh, to save us. This is what sets us free from slavery. Right? Seeing what Jesus did for us reminds us that we needed him to die for our sins because we're sinners. Understanding Jesus' work in us reminds us that, you know what, all of us, Christians and non, we all have hearts that are bound to sin. Right? We have different like, areas of our lives where it feels like we're enslaved, that no matter what we do, we feel this like, pull toward the wrong thing. We feel this pull not toward human flourishing and not toward the betterment of the world, but toward me getting what I need and what I want. Right? And yet Jesus sets us free from that. Friends, this is the gospel that is good news. This is the gospel that actually has the power to open the closedness of others. It says the power. There are times when people are open to hearing about Jesus. There are times when people end up respecting Jesus, and usually that happens when they receive the great love and the grace of someone else in Jesus' name. When you consistently love and serve someone else, when you show someone else real love that's unconditional, that can open their heart up. Especially when you do it in Jesus' name, it can make them think, hey, wait a second. Maybe there is more to this story than I think. The other thing that reopens people are, they call them the three T's, transitions, troubles, and tensions. Right? When when people's lives fall apart, when bad stuff happens in people's lives, if you are there caring for them, if you are there sharing with them how your faith helps you and how Jesus has made a difference in your life, it's in those moments, again, when people 
are kind of undone and the way they've thought about the world doesn't seem to be working in light of the suffering or the tension or the trouble that they're in. And they have an openness. They have an openness. So Paul is saying, Timothy, if you don't preach, we're going to lose the church. But if you do, people will be set free. People will grow in wisdom. People will stop searching for what doesn't satisfy. People will become part of what God is doing in the world. If you preach, then the troubles that people face, they'll have the strength to get through them. And they'll be, they'll know God's love deep in their heart. They'll know forgiveness. And that sound of forgiveness will resonate from in their heart and it will echo out of their lives into the people around them. And so it comes to us. It comes to us. Well, are you willing to share your faith? Are you willing to preach the gospel, to show Jesus to others through what you do, and then to share Jesus with others through what you say? It comes down to this, right? These questions. Why is Jesus good news to you? How has Jesus changed your life? And how does your faith help you in this? You need to have answers to these questions. And then you need to have these responses ready, right? The response of patience. Yes, the church isn't perfect. And teaching. But there's more to the story. I want you all to answer these questions this week. Some of these answers might get lengthy. My hope is that you would say with Paul that we have every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And to be able to actually think through like significant ways to answer these questions. So I want you to answer these questions. And then I want you to share your answers this week. I want you to share your answers. And if you're really nervous about sharing it with someone who doesn't know Jesus, then share it with someone who does. Share it with other Christians. One of the best ways to learn how to share the gospel is to share it with someone who already believes it. Because guess what? We all need to hear it too. We need to hear that God's grace is free and that we don't earn it because we forget. But we, need to, we, need to, we need to hear again and again that Jesus sets us free from slavery to sin, that its power has been broken. So I want you to share this with someone else. It could be in your life group, it could be just somebody else in the church. Um, and then I want you to ask them a question. Share your answers and then ask them, does this sound like good news to you? Because this is part of the problem. Yeah, it's good news to us, but when it comes out of our mouth, it's sort of a big mumble, jumble, sort of, I don't know, like a, like dishwater. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in there, but we can't really... And that's just reality. Like we need, to, we need to be able to get feedback. Hey, when I share with you how Jesus has changed my life, does that sound like good news? Does it sound like something you can relate to? Ask that question and get feedback. Typically when I share with people, both Christians and non, I'll share what I've experienced 
but I also try to understand what are they looking for? What, what would be good news to them and how does that relate to what Jesus has done? Right? And so some of this is just personal you sharing, but then the next level is asking what's going on in their life? What's your spiritual journey? What are you hoping to get out of religion or spirituality? And when they share, you can say, well, here's how Jesus helps me with that. So answer these questions. Share your answers um, with someone else and get feedback and find out if what you're sharing is good news or not. And if it's not, retool. Retool, ask, well, so how could I share this in a way that would sound like good news? This process, as we talked about last week, it takes a while, right? People take a while. Um, success, again, is showing and sharing the gospel, right? It's, that's what success is. It's not up to you to change people, but it's up to you to be faithful to show them Jesus and to share with them Jesus. Let's do that this week. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being honest with us about the urgency and Jesus, we do confess that in so many ways uh, we've failed in this. We haven't taken this urgency seriously or there have been times where we have and it's gone all wrong. And Jesus, would you help us? Would you please speak to each one of us and remind us from our own life why you are good news? Would you help us uh, to get back to a place where what we can share is good news? so that we can help people to see how glorious and good you are. Jesus, I thank you for the forgiveness that you bring, for the hope that you bring, for the power that you bring, for the perspective that you bring. These are all good news things. We thank you, Jesus. And we pray that you would help us this week to share our faith. Use us. Jesus, we are open. Let us be your ambassadors. Let us be your mouthpieces just to testify to what you've done in us so that others would have a chance to know you. We pray this in your name. Amen.